Hello, homemakers, and welcome to the Art of Home podcast, where we are exploring how homemakers cultivate a place to belong. I'm your host, Allison Weeks. I'm a wife, I'm a mom to four grown kids and a granny to one baby boy, and I have been practicing the art of home for over 30 years. I am halfway through my 31st year of homemaking, and it's been quite a ride. Maybe someday I'll sit down and let somebody interview me about my story. You get bits and pieces of my story as I talk with these other women, but I don't know. Maybe we'll do that one year for a birthday episode or something. Speaking of birthdays, we do have our second birthday coming up in March, and um, I'm going to be introducing some new and exciting things on that episode, so make sure that you don't miss that one. I want to welcome all our new listeners who have just found us. Thanks for giving the Art of Home a try today. Welcome back to all of our regular listeners. Thank you for faithfully tuning in and listening to these episodes, commenting, sending me emails, letting me know how the stories of each of these women is making an impact in your own homemaking and encouraging you and inspiring you. And that's what we're all about here. So today I'm going to be featuring... um, a homemaker portrait of my new friend, Debbie Ledoux. She was recommended for the show by my friend, Dana, who was our very first guest in our very first episode way back in 2021 on The Art of Home. And she just said that she thought Debbie would be a fantastic addition to our catalog, and she was not wrong. This is a great conversation about all the ups and downs of Debbie's life, how she had a very specific fantasy in mind of what she wanted her life to look like um, as a high-powered attorney with a husband that also had a high-powered job and no kids were going to be in that um, fantasy at all. And there's some reasons for that that we get into, but then how God just completely took that fantasy and turned it on its head and gave her heart a completely different desire. And it's just such a cool story, so I know you're going to be encouraged by it. I will be back at the end with a few closing comments, but uh, I'm just going to get right to the episode here with Debbie. So thanks for trusting us with some of your time today and whatever you are applying your hands to as you listen today. I know you will enjoy Debbie's story of home. All right. I'm here with my new friend, Debbie Ledoux, and we're going to talk about her story of home. And you know, Debbie, you're the first person that I've interviewed that I didn't know before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, well, this will be fun. I know. This will be, this is all new to me, folks. I'm learning as you are learning. (laughs) It's very organic today. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so before we jump into this, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself today? Who are you today? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I am, I could start with just, I'm a wife Mm -hmm. of a man who um, continues to amaze me getting teary-eyed. Oh, we just started. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Um, He serves women um, as a plastic and reconstructive surgeon that uh, reconstructs breasts for women who have lost theirs due to cancer Mm. and um, has a real ministry in that. He prays with them before every surgery, um, often will hand out books, just he meets them in that dark place. Yeah. And uh, is one of the few people that's willing to take the time and the energy to really invest and uh, has changed some lives, not just, you know, in terms of their health, but for eternity. So that's been 
pretty cool. That's amazing. And oh, what a comfort that must be for his patients. Yeah. That he does that with them. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. It's it's sweet to watch. God has definitely put him in that place for, mm-hmm. for such a time. So um, that's my husband. We have, um, when we got married, he brought in a bonus child mm-hmm. who is now 27. He's in Houston in medical school, just an amazing young man. And uh, has been a blessing to our whole family that is here, you know, more permanently. And that would include we have now a 23 year old, 21 year old, 19 year old, and 17 year old, all of them in some sort of school, high school, college, or graduate school. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of them seem to be flourishing, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, have made our house um, full of lots of energy over the years. And we're winding down, down now with just one at home. Mm. Has that been really, really challenging for you? Or Yes. I would say I. it's funny because I am one that sees these things on the horizon and starts preparing myself mentally and emotionally. So I actually went to a therapist, what, last summer to talk through that. And just the fact that, you know, for so many years, that has been such a defining part of who I am. And uh, realizing that that's coming to an end and and figuring out who I continue to be. Of course, there's many aspects of who I am that were not just mother, but really continuing to pour into those mm-hmm. and, and find a new and different role as mm-hmm. a mom when they're not underfoot full time. So that's amazing that you were proactive in that. I, that that's a that's a good word of advice, I would say. Yes, the counselor said that. Yeah. <laughs> he was really, he's like, good for you. You're in here before. Yes. You know? Don't wait until your life yeah. is crumbling and you don't know who mm-hmm. you are anymore. And yeah, go be early and, and do that early. That's really, that's really wise. Good deal. Okay, so what else? Anything else about you today? So, oh, goodness. So um, today I, uh, I serve on the board of a classical and Christian school in Bernie. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has been very fulfilling, and it's been the school that all four of our children have been educated at. And uh, like I say, we have the one that's a senior this year. So that's been a huge part of our lives for many years. And I've poured in in pretty much every capacity and just found great joy Mm -hmm. in the process of that. Um, I am. I lead a ministry that is called the Sister Project. We're a group of women. We come together uh, with our resources, basically making a thousand dollar donation a year, mm-hmm. and pool that money, and then give out grants to ministries who um, help women and children, and then spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's so cool. What kind of um, what can you give me some examples of what sorts of ministries you've given to in the past? Oh yeah, grant, these grants too. Um, we have done locally one that we recently poured into was Aid the Silent, mm-hmm. and so that's been really fun. Um, we've had different. One of the beautiful things that comes out of this is some of our sisters, as we call them, end up connecting with one ministry more than others. And so then they go and they actually develop a separate and independent relationship with that ministry, whether they give more money or they start to give time or just, you know, build um, support some way, somehow for that cause. And and so that's been fun to watch God work in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one example, sex trafficking ministries. Um, uh, we have given to agencies that minister to women who are considering aborting their babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have given to ministries 
who bring water. There's one we went on a uh, our very first mission trip this past summer with uh, a ministry called Filter of Hope, oh. and they bring water filters to people who do not have clean water. And we got to do that as a mother-daughter trip. Oh, how with, fun. It was amazing. I got to tell you, if there's anything that is worth seeing before you die, it is your children tearing up again, <laughs> spreading the word of Jesus Christ, oh, the gospel, yeah. just watching them share that and um, in seeing people receive it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that was life-changing. That was just really probably one of the high points of my entire motherhood, I think. Yeah. And um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. What a, what a great experience that you got to have. Yeah. That's so cool. So it sounds like with this ministry, you get to do a lot of really interesting things and meet a lot of different people. And yes, it keeps you pretty busy at this stage in your life. You know, it it's seasonal. Okay. Yeah. So right now we will have a few cop, um, coffees that are aimed at recruiting new members. Mm-hmm. And then there's a period of time where all the grants um, are actually, I, I say grants, it's the applications are taken in, they're reviewed, and then the money's given. And then there's kind of a quiet period until the next late fall, if you will. Mm. So we're starting to rev up for a busy season. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. All right. Well, let's go back to the beginning of your story. Okay. Okay. And why don't you just tell me, when do you consider that you first became a homemaker? And when you did, did you have any kind of skills? (laughs) Um, I looked at this question and I thought that the right answer was supposed to be when you get married. (laughs) Maybe before, I don't know. Maybe people feel like they're really making a home. I see that in my daughters, actually. Sometimes they say, yeah, my college dorm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I see that in my girls. It wasn't the case so much for me. Um, When I got married, the two of us were ferociously pursuing our careers, uh, my husband was working at least 12 hour, probably 13, 14 hour days. Mm-hmm. I was working at the district attorney's office at least 10 hours. I think I would get home before him and throw something together that we would eat. Certainly not serious cooking, you know, just whatever <laughs> we could scrape together. A lot of times it may be something on the way home. Yeah. And, um, and we didn't we didn't care for like a real meal. The life was not it wasn't about um slowing down, having a home. It was about pursuing those careers and mm. everything else uh was just kind of on the side sideline. Um I do remember on the weekends we would spend time pursuing some relationships with friends, with family, but never really took a lot of time to make our home nice mm-hmm. or I remember one thing, we finally bought a a couch and that was like this big deal to us because we actually were investing in the home, but that was an unusual event. For the most part, that was an oversight. It was, yeah, yeah, you live where you live just so that you can sleep and then get ready for the next day to go out and conquer the world in your field. Mm. So, And your field was? I was a criminal prosecutor. Okay. Wow. And how long were you actively doing that for? I did that for just about 10 years. Mm-hmm. I did it both in Houston and then in San Antonio. And then where was, when did you come home? Um, in, at nighttime, you mean? No, but or? I mean, um, I didn't phrase that well. When, how, when you, you did it for 10 years. Right. And so then you were having children. And then when mm-hmm. did you decide to leave your career and, yes. come, and come home? Yes. 
Well, God has his ways of calling <laughs> us home, I, I must say. Um, when I had our son, um, he had he was born early, about five five weeks premature, mm. and had a few issues. I had preeclampsia that had not been diagnosed. Oh. So he was not thriving in the womb at all. He was he had um, intrauterine growth retardation. So he was born itty-bitty, mm. um, smaller even than the typical preemie of five weeks. Um, fortunately, his lungs were developed, but because he was so tiny, he was three pounds, six ounces. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And uh, just amazingly healthy considering, you know, there was no huge issue that they had to, uh, medical problem, you know, that they had to address, but he just, he needed to grow. He needed to eat. He was kind of starving in my womb, you know, preeclampsia kind of depletes them of the the needed, um, nutrients and that kind of thing. So, um, once he came out, he stayed in the, uh, at the hospital for quite some time. I think it was like two weeks. Mm -hmm. And during that time, it was just this big reassessment of life, right? And because I really did, I assumed I was going to pop that baby out. I already had the nanny lined up and I was getting back to it. And uh, God just had another plan. You know, he throws these detours at you. And so it it really made me stop and think. Mm -hmm. And so I I took a year off. And then we were on vacation with my parents, and my mother noticed that I was depressed, as she saw it. Mm. And I was. I was I was pretty down because I was very isolated, and I didn't know what life looked like away from the courthouse, yeah. and I hadn't developed relationships, and so it was just me and this baby, and I really didn't know how to do motherhood. I didn't have any family members close by, so it was a hard time. Mm. So my mother suggested, well, you need to get back to work. And so I found a girlfriend and we did a job share for a while. And then when I was pregnant with um, our second child, our oldest daughter, I began to have some complications. Mm -hmm. And due to how things went with the first pregnancy, my doctor said, no, you're home. Mm -hmm. You need to stop working. Um, And criminal prosecution is such a rewarding career, but it's fast and furious. It's intense. You're a litigator. So you're in the courtroom every day Mm -hmm. and oftentimes in a pretty intense trial. And so it's just not real conducive to Mm -hmm. uh, the rest that you often need as a pregnant mother, you know, expecting mother. And so I listened to the advice of my doctor and stayed home and then just never went back. Once I had the second one, I realized that life needed to be different. I needed, and you know, some mothers pull it off. So I never want to judge because, boy, I tell you what, some women are able to have a flourishing career and an amazing family and and kids that grow up with, you know, all the love they need and all everything that uh, is necessary for great success. But it just, it wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. I was feeling as if I was cheating my work and then I was feeling as if I was cheating the kiddos. Mm, Yeah. Wow. Wow. So when you found yourself um, really keeping a home, okay, so you're you're not in the courtroom anymore, you're home, you've got a couple of kids that you're taking care of and, and your husband, what was the steepest learning curve for you as far as home, you know, traditional homemaking? What yes. was the hardest thing for you to kind of get a handle on? You know, it. Um, I would say it wasn't even one thing. Okay. I would say <laughs> it was 
everything and the fact that it all was a learning curve. What happened with my growing up years, um, I had a mother who struggled with depression from her teenage years. Mm -hmm. And this was back in the 50s when they didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. And so um, she that continued to be a lifelong struggle for her. And she was on all kinds of medications and as a result began to grow dependent on meds. And uh, sometimes they would put her on some version of an upper and she grew dependent on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, alcohol got thrown in the mix. Um, there was a lot of challenge for her in her life as a mom because of her other issues right. and as a homemaker. So I do believe my very early years, she kept a, a pretty orderly home. Mm-hmm. I have some memory of that. But around the time I was in grade school, she uh, things kind of went south. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point in time, um, I... I was the oldest of three girls, so I kind of had to mother them. And, um, you know, she would, she, I mean, it was severe. Her her depression would keep her in her room for two weeks, for example. And uh, I remember times of sitting outside her door and just begging her to come out and not understanding what she was battling. Yeah. So I, the skills that are often passed down from mother to daughter, yeah, that just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that I, when I decided that I was going to do this mother, wife, uh, <laughs> homemaker thing, um, I was scared to death. I mean, I prosecuted criminals, yeah. people that were capital murderers, and I was scared of cooking. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, I am not lying. I really, I, and I, I had a good reason to be. I had no clue. Yeah. I could make tacos. I was good at tacos. <laughs> Ask my husband. I am great at tacos. But boy, you get beyond that. Yeah. And, you know, I need the cookbook. I have to go by every little detail. I have to read it three times. And so back then, praise God, children are not gourmet eaters, yeah. right? And so <laughs> I got... Usually. <laughs> yes, not mine. They didn't get that exposure. So it just wasn't an issue. So, I mean, it was Kraft mac and cheese. It was chicken nuggets. Uh-huh. Um, I could manage those things. Right. So God was good. And, um, and they didn't complain. But what I began to do is just learn from... Um, at first, it was just trial and error, to yeah. be honest. You know, I mean, I did know how to do the laundry, right? And so I could manage that. I could wash dishes. But frankly, in the beginning, I mean, the dishes were not washed typically when they should be washed. There, there were many nights when dishes were left in the sink. Mm-hmm. And um, now that bothers me. Now I can't do that. But in the beginning, you know, because there were just so many other things to tend yeah, to. You're trying to survive. So really the <laughs> steep learning curve for me was getting all the skills and then doing them in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. I, I could cook. Anybody can probably, I say anybody, I think most people can follow a recipe. Yeah. It's just that it took me 10 times as long as exactly. the next person. Yeah, exactly. So that was the learning curve is wow. mastering it in a way that was efficient and effective. So I'm curious, here you had had this, you know, successful career as an attorney, you know, doing just all the criminal prosecuting. And I mean, that's like a big deal. How did you feel coming home? Did you feel at all inadequate? Like, what is wrong with me? Why is this so difficult? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I frankly, I was determined that I was going going to avoid all that. We were going to hire the n- nanny uh-huh. and the kids would be ready for me to come home almost like I was the husband, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um that that worked for me until I had them and then with the difficulties with my first I began to find that, wait a minute, being away from them all day isn't quite the way I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of piqued my uh, interest in being a mother and, you know, full-time mother. Yeah. And then by the time the second came around, it was very clear to me. So frankly, I, d- I did want to avoid it. God had it, so I wasn't going to do that. Mm-hmm. It just became clear that I couldn't avoid it. So then I was terrified. Oh, yeah. And I was lonely. I didn't want to admit how pathetic I was. Mm. I remember my husband had a patient that, um, sweet woman, she has since passed from her cancer, but she uh, took an interest in him and invited him to church and mm-hmm. Uh, he developed a relationship with the Lord because of her. Aww. And so she's, you know, very dear to us yeah. even to this day. But she became um, something of a mentor and sent me recipes and uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. The sad part is this will maybe make me cry. I'm going to try not to let it. But my mom wanted to be all of that. Mm. She just seriously had an illness that made it where she couldn't. Yeah. And so I remember after she had passed, going through some of her things and finding all these recipes clipped and put into a folder. Mm-hmm. And they were like recipes for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. And she didn't host those like normally the matriarch does. Yeah. And uh, I used to judge her so harshly for that. Mm. And then I saw that and it just really reminded me that life's a lot more complicated than we think. And people are oftentimes unable to give you what you need because of real um, challenges that they just cannot seem to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to be careful, I think, with our judgment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that happened. And then I had a friend who stepped in not too many years after that and uh, again filled that mentor role. That's so great that you had those women in your life. Yes. Yeah. And we say that a lot on the show. I'm a broken record and I will keep saying it. (laughs) Go out and make those friends. Go find those women and connect with them and um, come alongside. Let them come alongside you and minister to you and you minister to them and that's how you learn. That's how you grow and enter into somebody else's story. Um, like you were just saying, cause you just don't know what's going on in people's lives and it helps us to be compassionate, I think. Yes. So, well, thank you for sharing about that. Sure. How about any other expectations that you might've had going into your role? Um, you thought it might have looked one way and it looked totally different. Was there something else that surprised you about homemaking? Um, I found my biggest challenge was loneliness. Mm. Uh, Even though I began, especially once my oldest was in kindergarten at this little school in Bernie, I that's where I found my people, if you will. Yeah, and uh, and just developed this great community of dear friends, and uh, I still found though that. 
when I would be home, they would be napping, I'd be doing laundry, that I found myself oftentimes quite lonely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized that the person who God made me is meant to have some other kind of outlet. And so God brought along an opportunity to teach junior high and high school kids um, logic and debate, a class called dialectic. Mm -hmm. And uh, with my legal career, that was a natural fit. fit. Yeah. 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 And so I did that part-time. At the school where your children were attending? Okay. Yes. So that worked out great. Yeah. And uh, that just gave me a little bit of an outlet. So that for me was the perfect balance. Well, let's talk some more about kids and parenting. And how did the addition of children challenge and enrich your home life and your homemaking? Well, it changed everything. I would say, yeah, that was really the beginning of uh, my homemaking career. Mm -hmm. And um, children threw me. Um, I had this little fantasy that I was going to be this high-powered lawyer. I was going to marry, I didn't care what it was, but some high-powered, you know, business kind of, you know, it it didn't matter, business, doctor, whatever, just some guy that's got a big career that he's all invested in. And we would work hard all day. We'd go to some fancy restaurant and then we would live our life in like a high-rise apartment. And, And it would just be so cool. That's a very specific fantasy. It is. There were no children in my fantasy. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. And uh, I think that was in large part because I already had kind of been a mama. Yeah. I was going to ask, how did your experience in your home growing up affect that dream that you had created for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I felt like for several years. Now, um, unfortunately, as I got to my upper teens, I bailed on that pretty big time. And I think my sisters paid a bit of a price, mm-hmm. um, which I regret. But, you know, you're 16, 17 years old and yeah. you go pursue your own life. And so at any rate, um, I did not imagine that I was going to be a mother, four children, five children, actually five total, four full time, you know, yeah. in the thick of it day to day. No way. Uh-huh. Absolutely would have told you you were smoking crack. I mean, I really would have. There's just no way that was going to be my life. Yeah. And God is just so fun that way and how he he knows what we need. Yeah. And his plan is perfect. And so through a, a husband who really wanted children and just that lit him up, the idea of that. And the fact that he wanted them with me mm. was just sweet. Yeah. And so it began to wear on me and I began to think, wait a minute, I, that may not be so bad. Yeah. So I finally got the courage to consider one. Uh-huh. And then that was it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sure the moms out there know what I'm talking about. You hold that one in your arms and your life has changed forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. So I was just curious. I want to get the timeline right. Um, you shared about the lady who... Um, led your husband to Christ. And when was that? Were you already married? Um, We were. Yes. And were you a believer yet? I was a believer. So when we got married, um, I was a believer, but I was not pursuing the Lord at all. Okay. I was very prodigal. And uh, my husband did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, He... Started going to church. We started going to Max Lucado's church, oh. and uh, 
it, it really was kind of funny because this also involves my mother. Um, we go there one Sunday, and we had been church shopping for a while, mm-hmm. and nothing was really striking our fancy. And we finally go to this one with this redheaded pastor. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, this guy's really good. Mm-hmm. And I had been going before that to Second Baptist in Houston. Mm-hmm. So the pastor there was a big superstar, very well-known, mm-hmm. incredible speaker. So I was used to you know that kind yeah. of level of teaching. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, who the heck is this guy in the middle of this little church in San Antonio, <laughs> in the medical center? And um, I just remembered his name was Max. Uh-huh. And so... I go home and I had called my mother later that day and I said, well, mom, you're going to be happy to hear this because she was a believer in spite of all that she dealt with, she did believe. And so um, she had been praying that we would go to a good church and that Pete would come into a real relationship with Jesus. Awesome. And so I called her and I'm like, mom, we found this church. I think it may be the one. (laughs) And uh, anyway... She said, well, well, what church is it? I said, I don't know, something called Oak Hills. There's this redheaded pastor, though, and his name is Max, and he's like really good. And she starts laughing. She's like, do you know where you are? I'm like, what? She goes, you are at Max Lucado's church. I'm like, yeah, what? Who's that? <laughs> because I had never read any of his books at that point. Yeah. And um, then I just... God used that church and Max's teaching and a book, one book in particular, to get to Pete, my husband. Mm. And it wasn't long after that that he came to faith and he was baptized in Max's backyard swimming pool. Oh, how cool is that? So yeah, that's very sweet. Awesome. And did y'all have any kids yet at that point? We had, when Peter was baptized, we had just had our oldest, Sam. Okay. So he was an infant at the Mm. time. So I bet that dramatically changed things dramatically in your home. Dramatically, yeah. Um, what would you say is the biggest change? My goodness, Peter grew up um, with a very traditional father of the time. Mm-hmm. He was quite sexist, to be honest, um, and he uh, he ruled the home. And had high expectations of everyone serving him and it being kind of about him. And so Pete began to mimic some of that. Mm. And uh, that caused, as you can imagine, a lot of conflict in our marriage. And uh, things were rough around the time that we met Brenda Jones, the patient who led us to Max's church. And um, it was... Amazing how the Lord got a hold of Peter's heart. And I have to say, there were many desperate, on the floor, Mm. begging God type prayers on my part, because I just thought, what have I gotten myself into? This is not going well. And we were expecting a child, and uh, I was pretty nervous about how things were going to turn out. Mm -hmm. And God just, I mean, I'll tell you what, He continues to awe me. And sure enough, I mean, it was weeks later that Pete announces that we're going to go to this Oak Hills church. And, you know, he knew that I was game for whatever church. So sure enough, we we go visit. And and then he uh, starts reading some of Max's books and uh, The Grip of Grace got a hold of him. Mm -hmm. That was the title of a book that Max had written that 
uh, Pete had grown up in a church where grace was really not the point. It was all about works, mm. and um, and God was far away. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he got the picture, and he realized what Jesus' sacrifice really meant. Yeah, and uh, and that he did it for him. Mm-hmm. He loved him that much. Yeah, and uh, that changed my husband profoundly. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he turned into this Jekyll and Hyde, where most of the time he was awesome, and then he'd fall back sometimes. Yeah. But we all do. And and God has just continued with that process of sanctification, mm-hmm. just as he is in my life too. And it has just been so fun, though, to watch that up close and personal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. amazing. And I think that's a... I mean, God can... God redeems everything, right? That's his... That's what he does. Um, but the fact that you were just on at the beginning of your parenting journey, like, you know, he transformed him to be a father. Yes. To all these kids that were coming. Yes. You know, the kind of father that that God wanted him to be. So that's pretty amazing. Yes. That's yeah. awesome. Well, let's talk practically about kids. Um, how did you invite your children into the homemaking with you? <laughs> well, um, it, you know, in the very early years, of course, there's limited opportunity for that. Um, I do think it started with simple things like, you know, cleaning the playroom, putting everything in the right bucket, mm-hmm. that kind of deal. Um, and it morphed as the years went by into a little more ownership. Uh, we would have, and, and we were not, um, militant about it because our kids were in a school that had a lot of homework. Mm-hmm. Um, they were challenged academically um, in a good way. Yeah. And uh, that meant that sometimes, some evenings, they were preparing for a test. So I was like, you know what? You don't need to help with dishes. or So they got some passes. But at the same time, when they could, we did have them clean off the table, you know, throw the dishes into the dishwasher. Um, but the beauty of it was um, without a lot of intentionality, and I would change that now looking back. I would be more intentional. But just because, I don't know, God's good. And he just kind of gave my girls an interest in cooking. Even our son, um, all of them know how to cook yeah. and, and enjoy it. And so the thing that I never felt I could do, and ironically, I'll tell you something funny. My mother was a great cook, mm. great cook. Um, but she kind of treated it like it was a bad thing, a negative thing, mm-hmm. a lowly thing. Mm. And so I never took to it. And um, then in our home, I I would cook. I don't know that I acted as if it was a great thing, but I didn't despise it at all. Um, The kids grew interested. Hmm. And uh, so now when they are home from college uh, during the summer, we change off nights or sometimes we all cook together. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. That's good. And then another way that I'll tell you that's kind of fun is uh, all three girls. So I have a son and three girls, and then, of course, our bonus son who's older. So I don't get to refer to Nate as much in a lot of these stories just simply Mm -hmm. because he wasn't home full time. That's my husband's name, too. Nate. Is it Nate? Yes. 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 Okay, anyway. So the ones that were at home full time. The ones at home full time. were given an opportunity probably around 10, 11, 12 to be participants in redoing their room from that, you know, little kid room to the 
um, sort of kind of tween to teenage. Yeah. yeah. Fun. And uh, so we would set a budget and Sam, our son, nah, he was somewhat interested. He did like picking out the um, the bedding, I think. And yeah. And would take a few minutes to pick between three options of a bed type thing. You know, I knew that his attention span toward that was a little bit limited. But the girls really got into it, Mm -hmm. which was a lot of fun. And um, one of them now is actually pursuing interior design at Baylor. Oh, so kind of funny watching how, yeah, yeah, it, I think, planted a seed. Who knew? Yeah. But um, very fun. I mean, when I say budget, they would have to do things like help me list their uh, furniture Mm -hmm. on Craigslist or, you know, wherever that would be um, and get it sold, which would contribute toward what they could use to redecorate. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I really like that idea. I love when we talk about um, that comes up a lot, letting your kids sort of have a say in what their own environment, because that's really like their little home within your home. Yes. That's their space. And we want to encourage them to put their personality on their space and give them ownership of their space um, that they dwell in most of the time. So that's really cool that you got to do that with them. Yeah. Awesome. It was fun. Well, let's... um, talk a little bit about priorities, about setting goals and and keeping your priorities in order. So what are some practical steps that you have taken in the past and that you maybe still take to just kind of keep your priorities where they need to be? Yeah. Um, Without a doubt, the most important thing in my life is Jesus Christ, right? And my relationship with Him. Mm -hmm. Um, It defines who I am and uh, gives me direction and guidance in every decision. So I need to keep that vital. And in doing that, I try to, I can't say I do it every single day, but I try to spend some time in the Word of God. Um, I, If I can't, I love the material you sent, Allison, because you talk about the importance of like podcasts, something mm-hmm. so practical. So what I learned to do is I wanted to keep up my relationship with Jesus, but at the same time, I wanted to be mindful of things like my health, especially as I remember approaching 40 and thinking, okay, um, God's been good. I've been given good health to this point, but you know, these as these years unfold, you can't take any of that for granted. And so I began running. Is what I do. I say running is jogging, um, and it's just that counts. It counts. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and it's no big deal. Is three miles, but it didn't start that way. Yeah. But it it got to be three miles. And what I would do though is either before or after. Sometimes during the the jog, but a lot of times my mind couldn't be free enough to really soak it in. I would do like a podcast of a sermon, mm-hmm. or I would listen to the Bible, um, the Bible app where yes, it they read it. To yes, you. read yeah. it to you. Mm-hmm. And so that way, I could do two things at once, and um, you know that good old multitasking. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But I found, and then being for some reason, a lot of times what I do is I'd wait to do that until after the run, and then I'd go for a little walk. And kind of as I'm just unwinding from the run, you know, getting my breath back to normal, just enjoying the fact that I'm not going so fast anymore, I would listen to the Word of God and just look around me. Mm-hmm. And I'd be in the middle of nature as well. And it just really worked for me, mm-hmm. you know, just a very special time with God Yeah, and uh, accomplished two things there at once. Yeah. No, that's a great practice. I I 
do the same. I don't run anymore because I don't have a ACL in one of my knees. Mm. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, that can be a problem. <laughs> I walk and um, often multitask, but oftentimes I just feel like the Lord's telling me just to turn it off and just listen. Oh, that's good too. Just be quiet and pray. Yes. And it's a lot of good thinking time when you're out there walking or running. It's good stuff. Well, any other tips or tricks on just sort of organizing your schedule or keeping all the things in order with four kids? I mean, that's a lot to manage. Yes. So do you have any words of wisdom there? I'm noticing, you know, there's mention of marriage. Um, and, you know, when you think of your priorities, right? Mm-hmm. And in our marriage, one thing we've done well is ever since the beginning, we have taken an annual trip for our anniversary. Aww. And so many times in the beginning before kids, it could be pretty flamboyant and, you know, involve a big distance of travel. And then as the kids were young, we if we went to Austin, if we went to Canyon Lake, you know, yeah. wherever. So, um, but we would spend at least a weekend, a long weekend away focused on our marriage. Mm. And then for many years, we have stopped doing this really recently, but for many years, we would take another weekend and kind of like our anniversary is February 1st. So around October, we would take a trip and uh, it would be with a ministry that would do like a marriage retreat. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would benefit from that. So we were, I have to say, very intentional about our marriage. That's really good. That's I like um I like that you had two different occasions. You had sort of like the celebratory, let's go and just, you know, celebrate our anniversary, but then to take that time to do a marriage retreat, which can often be way more intense. Yes. Um, and intense, like purposeful. We're gonna learn, we're gonna pray, we're gonna maybe work through some hard things, which you can do that on a on any trip you take together, but it's kind of nice that you could do both. So. Yes, it was nice. I I did appreciate that sometimes those marriage retreats will bring up some challenging topics and um it helped to not have that set aside as that fun time. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay, let's talk a little bit about challenges in homemaking and and in your homemaking journey. Is there a special challenge that you have faced in your journey and how have you walked through that? How has the Lord changed you or sanctified you through it? What have you learned in this part of your journey? You know, I would say there was one big occasion that I'm going to get to, but what is fascinating to me about anybody's journey in life is that when we're constantly seeking the Lord, He knows, obviously, where we're missing, um, where we're deficient, what we need, and and He has a way of bringing that around. And so I was praying at a point in my life, really seeking closeness with Him, and I was very frazzled. I had four kids, I think, uh, elementary, middle school, and maybe even one that hadn't quite gone to kindergarten yet, and... uh, I was working at the Bear County Family Justice Center, leading a program where we would go to inner city schools and talk about healthy relationships. And I was in charge of coordinating all these college kids who were going out there and speaking. And then I was doing a lot of that myself as well. And then I was leading the sister project and it was getting a bit out of control. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling very stressed 
And one summer when we were on vacation, God really brought that to the surface because I suffered a stroke. Oh, I had never had any health issue in my life. And then suddenly one morning when we're in Mexico, I'm waking up and I'm just not able to process right. And I can't think of the date. And it was summer, so I started to blow it off. But then I couldn't think of the month, not only the day, but the month. And so I knew something was really wrong. And um, I tried to get out of bed and shake it off. I'm just like, I'm groggy. I'm just out of it. And when I did, I looked down and there was this arm in space and I was like, what the heck? It looked like a, a doll's arm almost mm. because it wasn't attached to anything. And uh, I see this and it's freaking me out. I mean, kind of like a horror movie in a weird way. And um, I'm trying to figure this out. And then I begin to realize, wait a minute. And I look at it and it's not a, man, a man's arm because I, I thought, Peter, but He's in the bed. I mean, it didn't even make sense. But even still, that was one thing that ran through my head. And I quickly realized, no, it's not a man's arm. That's a woman's arm. And then I began to realize, that is your arm. Mm. And I had no connection with that arm in the rest of my body. Wow. Zero. Yeah. It, wild. Wild how the brain can do that. And so needless to say, it scared me to death. And so... um I am horrified. And then all of a sudden, there, and oh, and I also had no speech. And so, what I do is when I see that, I start grunting mm. because literally words don't come. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not that I can't make words with my mouth, but they're in my brain. There's no words in my brain. Mm. And so, I just start mm, grunting. And my yeah. husband sees me and being a physician, pretty quickly knows what's going on, jumps up to tend to me. And I'm so afraid. And I just remember all of a sudden a sense, because again, there's not language in my head. It just was a sense that there was a help. Mm. There was a source. There was something I could reach out to that would yeah. be there in that moment. And so I, in without words, cry out to what that is. Yeah. And, um, and by that point, Pete had me laying down on the bed and was praying over me. Mm-hmm. Why he did not immediately call 911 is almost a mystery. He will tell you because he felt the Holy Spirit just say pray, Yeah. period. 911 didn't even go through his head, Mm. which is crazy. But this was such a God thing. So anyway, as I'm laying there and he's tending to me, I literally have this out-of-body experience. And I'm no longer in that room. I am in a very softly lit place. Um, I, there's not a whole lot to my surroundings. I, I can't see if I'm in nature. It's just the lighting. And the lighting is incredibly comforting. comforting. Mm-hmm. And I begin to relax in this place. Mm-hmm. And I feel perfection. I, I feel this sense of everything in the entire universe is right. Mm-hmm. Just rest in this. It is good. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know that it's Jesus, it's God, it's the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there with me, ministering to me in that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, all of my fear, it, it was gone, but it, it couldn't be there anyway. The beauty of God's presence, fear can't dwell with mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. right? And so it wasn't like I had to stop being afraid. It just fear went away, mm-hmm. just went away naturally. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, I am in perfect peace. I am in utter perfection. 
And I am completely comforted. And I remember when speech began to come back to me, having the thought, whatever, God, mm-hmm. whatever. I, you know, just I surrender whatever you want to do. If I die, if I live, because I knew I did have an understanding that, you know, life was kind of in the balance here. And, um, I shortly after I did that, after I had that moment of surrender, all of a sudden I come back to and I see where I am and I start crying, just tears pouring down my cheeks mm-hmm. and uh, just kept, as my um, words came back to me, it was like, Jesus, you know, because yeah. I'm still, <laughs> yeah. um, and I just said, Jesus, you're good. You're good, Jesus. And just tears coming down. My husband looks at me. He's like, I don't know what happened to you, but I need to know what happened to you. <laughs> and um, at that point in no condition to explain the whole thing, yeah. but... The beauty of it was just that it was this moment in time where God met me in my crazy life and communicated to me through this event that it's time to stop. We need to prioritize again, Mm. and we need to get the first things first because things are getting a little out of control, and you're trying to do it all. And I don't know, I, I don't believe any woman can do it all. No. And... We do try, yeah. and we do strive, <laughs> and it was kind of wild because it, it really felt like it came full circle back to the time when Sam was born, and the Lord kind of reprioritized my life through the birth of him, and this was at another moment in time where God just said, okay, daughter, it's time to get some things straight here. Yeah, You know, you're a little out of control. Wow. What a story. <laughs> it was, yeah. That's yeah. That's amazing. So did you have a long recovery physically after that, or was it just um, kind of a... No, it was incredible. Um, God cured me immediately mm. um, to the point that we thought I had a TIA uh-huh. versus a real stroke. And the TIA is... Just explain what that is. Oh, it, yeah. It's, um, it is where you have a... Ten- I'm trying to think of the wording for it. Um, it's basically a very short period of time that your brain is deprived of oxygen so short that it's just like a hiccup almost. And they don't classify that as as, an actual stroke. Right. Right. And, um, so that we kind of thought that might have been it. Now it did seem to last a little bit longer than your typical TIA. TIA, a lot of people, especially as they age, will experience it, and it's just kind of like a moment of uh, blacking out almost. But you you don't lose consciousness; you just kind of lose your cognitive skills for just a second, and then it comes right back. Uh-huh. Um, but this was longer than that, so it was kind of mysterious, but. Really, the way that all my faculties came back so fully and completely, we thought, oh, well, maybe that was just a TIA. So um, we go back to the States, and I'm I'm fine. I'm 100%. Mm -hmm. But they put me into the um, area of the hospital where all the stroke patients are. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a wild experience. And and I am completely fine. I remember they were trying to lift me from... Um, the stretcher to the bed, and I was. And my husband was like, "Guys, really, she's got it. It's okay." Yeah. <laughs> and they, they're just like, "What is she doing in this particular part of the hospital?" But at any rate, um, my friend Dana 
was the first one to come and visit me that next morning. And she started crying. And she just told me, she said, I I expected that you would just, you know, have some sort of, your face would be drooping on one side, or, you know, you couldn't use your left arm, or one of these typical uh, manifestations of a stroke. And nothing, I mean, it was completely healed the minute that my my speech came back. Mm. And uh, we... When we were in the hospital, we got a full workup done. They found out I had a hole in my heart, which is probably what led to the um, blood clot going to my brain versus to my lungs, which if it's a small clot you know, and it goes to the lungs, the lungs just gets rid of it. Mm-hmm. If it's a big one, you've got a problem, a pulmonary embolism, yeah. right? Yeah. But there are tons of these little bitty clots that can get thrown from time to time in our bodies and nothing becomes of them. But unfortunately, mine went to the brain, Mm. and even the most minuscule little clots can be a problem for the brain. So with the clot and then the MRI they did at the hospital, they were able to determine, no, this this was not just a TIA. Mm. It's a real deal. Wow. That's pretty amazing, though, that you were healed, and that was it. God was good. Yeah. Good. Yes. Well, I want to talk a little bit about hospitality. You have a you have a lovely home that seems just perfect for hosting lots of people. <laughs> Is this something you do often? Not um not often. Okay. But you do have a big family, so it's nice. Yes, when we do have here. a big family for sure. And it's something that we're doing more and more. Mm-hmm. Um with a big family, I think that what we fell into was, oh my goodness, we just, we have enough right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I, so. I, absolutely. Yes. As a mom of four, <laughs> you probably can relate. Um, so. What, you want me to bring more noise and people into this already crowded space? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So there would be the groups of kids from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in every now and then, you know, we'd have the Bible study group or something like this, but not on a regular basis. Also though, to be fully transparent, Allison, I always felt like I, I don't have the bandwidth to get the home in shape to oh, where I can host. Yeah. And um, I may have been silly about that because frankly, a lot of people don't, and the expectations are very fair and reasonable. Uh-huh. And I needed to just chill out on that, probably. <laughs> but um, through the years, I learned, and and so now I'm much more comfortable hosting. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I do like it to be homey, and I've worked hard to try and get it that way. I think in the beginning. It felt much more chaotic, and now I'm aiming toward a little bit more peaceful vibe. <laughs> so. so that when people come here, they don't feel uh, more stressed out when exactly. they leave. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's a good goal to have as a hostess. <laughs> Definitely. So how do you feel like homemaking helps to build up communities? I think that homemaking is about the family. Right. And the families form the communities. So in that most basic sense, definitely. But I think it's so important now. We're in a time, this is something that I I am fascinated with, that uh, culture and uh, cultural trends, Mm -hmm. that really interests me. And I do a fair amount of reading about it. And we're at a stage of history in um, our 
country right now where traditional family and its values are being challenged really as never before. Mm-hmm. I think that would be fair to say. And um, as a result of that, I think it's that much more critical that we preserve what we know is God's ideal. Yeah. And so I think investing into the family through the home, the home being such a source of stability and security, mm-hmm. um, I love that when our kids come home, they they feel like they're coming to a place where there's peace, where there is um, support, encouragement, all of those things. And, um, and it's through those uh, relationships uh, that you in that that sense of home that you can really impact that next generation, sure as well, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, as my kids are going up, growing up, I'm already looking toward that for sure. But then, you know that that's that continued community, mm-hmm. and then bringing in. I love how a lot of people, and we've done it some, will bring in kids that don't have the best home environments. Yeah. And so we've done some of that. We've had we had a missionary live with us for a year. That was really, really cool. That's Very cool. fun. Did you have kids at home when the missionary we lived did. with you? We did. And where, he where where was he from? The missionary? Um Germany. Okay. Coming to be a missionary to America. Wow. That <laughs> speaks volumes, doesn't right? it? Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he did a tour in the Bernie Public Schools and the high schools there and uh, was a great addition to the family. I think that our girls at times would drive him a little crazy, but that was just part of the experience. Yeah. So, but wonderful young man. We went to his wedding a couple of years Aww. ago, and now he has two kids and an amazing wife, and he pastors a church in Germany where, you know, they're, you talk about postmodern, that's oh, a whole yeah. other level of it there. Mm-hmm. So um, it's beautiful to just see him be a light in that darkness and and have impacted his life in a small way and have him impact ours. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great testimony. I'm glad that, thanks for sharing that, because I think that's really cool that you guys were able to do that. Sure. Yeah, that experience. Well, I want to go into a time of some rapid fire questions. Okay. Okay. And I would love to hear about your worst homemaking fail. Okay. Well, probably that would be recent. Um, We finally, we started redecorating our our home. And in doing that, uh, we preserved cabinets in the kitchen, preserved as much as we could. But it got to a point where the color scheme, it was very clear that the rock flooring that we had loved and enjoyed for so many years just wasn't working. And so we needed to get rid of that. And we wanted something durable to put in its place. Right. And so we laid a laminate down. Oh. Um, and I can't tell you how great laminate is, except you need a perfectly level floor for that. Yeah. And when you've had flagstone that just was kind of a polished flagstone, uh, that doesn't get level. It just, I don't care what you do. It just doesn't get perfectly level. No. So we have the laminate down now. They ended up gluing it rather than just locking it into place because of the uneven nature of the floor. It's working, but there's some places where, you know, you step and it kind of pops up and then some other places where you can almost see that it's not quite right. But it's going to work for now. 
And, um, but it's definitely a bit of a fail. Yeah. So do you try to lay it over top of the flagstone? Is that what you did? We put a leveler on first okay. or had people do that. Cause I was thinking you can't really pull up right. the flagstone. Yeah. I you'd mean, have that, to jackhammer that out. And then you'd have, your house would be covered in dust for yes. the rest of your life. <laughs> yes. So that we were just like, no, that cannot happen. That's not an option. So the floor guy thought that if he put a leveler oh, down, which no. is kind of this, um, uh, substance that is uh, a little bit spongy jelly kind of, yeah, you know, and yeah. then it dries. And anyway, it helped, but it didn't get it perfectly level in with laminate. Well, I have you to say, it. Debbie, I'm not, I wouldn't put all of that on you because that wasn't like a total fail just on your part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were other people involved. <laughs> true, true. But unfortunately, that one has been kind of a source of. Uh, for a while, a source of frustration whenever we would walk through the house. And now yeah. I'm just resigned that, you know what? Most people never notice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the floor's beautiful. So the heck with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is easy to take care of. It is. Laminate flooring. So durable. It's so yes. great. So how about a homemaking product or resource that you love, that you just couldn't live without? Yes, I would say the prepared, uh, prepackaged meals that come at your doorstep. Oh, like um, Blue Apron or yes. wh- which one do you use? We use um, Home Chef. Okay. But um, yeah, there's several. Uh-huh. And uh, that has been a godsend yeah. because, you know, you're not running to the grocery store. You're not trying to figure out what you're going to cook. Mm-hmm. And uh, we use those two to three times a week. Cool. Yeah, so... Yeah. That has made a huge difference just in being able to get a real meal yeah. on the table yeah. <laughs> without too much crazy, oh my gosh, I don't have the cinnamon or I don't have the sugar. I've got to run to H-E-B. And- so they send you everything you need to make that recipe, correct? Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 All in a package. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yep. nice. Well, how about a favorite homemaking hack or tip? that you have learned over the years? Um, I would say, I don't know if this is so much a hack, but probably the thing that has made the biggest impact on our lives, it's kind of a simple thing, is eating dinner every night as a family. Mm. If it can't, well, we do. We eat as a family around the table and we had four very busy kids. So that would often mean finally after all the practices concluded, um, if somebody couldn't be there, the rest of us ate here. And uh, life was lived at this table. Mm -hmm. And Goodness gracious, I don't know why I am just teary today, but... Um, <laughs> oh, no, you're reminiscing. I am. I am all the years. Yeah. And um, people will tell you that maybe it can't be done, and maybe it can't be done seven days a week. Yeah. Make it happen as often as you can. And and then when you're at the table, one hack I would say is do you know little games. We did high-lows. Tell me the high today, everybody around the table. Tell mm. me your low today around mm. the table. And you just build relationship. Yeah. Oh, I love that. High lows. That's mm-hmm. a good one. There's lots of little tools also that you can get. Um, they have like these conversation cards. Yes. I've seen those. You can buy. They have them for families. They have them for couples. They have them for kids. If, if like you have little kids. Yes. They're geared towards that age group as well. So... Don't be afraid to bring in, you know, help in that form. (laughs) 
Amen. Yes, we have used those on occasion. And yes, they've really made a difference. Good. That's a great tip. Thank you for thank you for saying that because I know that sometimes people are like, oh, we just can't do it. We have to have too much going on. But you make time for what's important for you. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a priority, yeah. You can make it happen. Yeah. And again, it doesn't have to be every single night. And it doesn't have to be like a huge meal either. Maybe it's bologna sandwiches, but you're sitting around the table. Exactly. It it can be the takeout that you just grabbed on the way. Yeah. But you're all there together, Mm -hmm. um, kind of captured, if you will, for a little bit of time. For a little bit. That's good. Let's talk a little bit about the art of home. So how do you see homemaking as an art? I love art. Uh, I'm fairly creative, not amazing, but you know, somewhat. Um, and so I, when I started this journey, would have never imagined that there could be this artistic expression that is possible in homemaking. Yeah. But there is so much so, um, whether it be the way that you put your table together to serve a meal, and that may not be every meal. You know, these are like for Thanksgiving or maybe, you know, on Saturday nights, you always get together with extended family, whatever it is, just some way that you can express yourself. And um, what's fun about that is it incorporates a little bit of you. And so that always represents who you are. And um, I think that as the years pass, your children will um, take in some of that. They'll leave some of that with you because you're not them, obviously. Yeah. But it's just fun to see them then find their own way of expressing. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I have been enormously encouraged by how much um, homemaking is actually an art. Yeah, that's good. What about the mundane side of the homemaking? Mm-hmm. You know, just the sameness. Of, oh, yeah. Especially those early years with lots oh, of little yeah. kids. Oh, my and, gosh. Yes. You know, how did you find beauty in the midst of that? How do you find beauty in the midst of those things that we have to do? But uh, again? <laughs> yes, yes. I think what's helpful is to connect each task to relationship. Mm-hmm. So as you're folding little Johnny's, you know, underwear or whatever, be thinking of how that is helping Johnny yeah. and helping his life. It's it's getting him organized. Mm-hmm. It's allowing for him to know that the minute he goes to that drawer, there will be underwear in that drawer. <laughs> right. and silly little thing, but it's important for getting his day started off right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, yes, I'm all about relationship. That's the part I do love just innately and um and that's where I really want to invest. So whenever I can tie a task to a person mm-hmm. or building relationship with that person, it mm-hmm. makes the mundane enjoyable yeah. even. Oh, absolutely. No, that's a great tip. What about gratitude? How have you found that gratitude has been a, an important part of your journey as a homemaker? Gratitude is life-changing. Yeah. Um Gratitude is honestly just a perspective. And so um, it changes when I make a point of thinking of all that I have and being grateful for it. Mm -hmm. I can literally turn a rotten day into a good one. Yeah. I mean, just by focusing on the good versus the negative. Yeah. And um, when I practice that as a habit, 
a grad a day of gratitude becomes a week, becomes a month, becomes an entire lifestyle mm-hmm. of gratitude. So then when I approach difficult things, they're no longer so huge and foreboding. Yeah. Suddenly I can see them in the perspective, oh, oh, guess what? Um, most of my life is fine. Mm-hmm. There is this maybe big thing that's mm-hmm. kind of ominous, but I've seen through the years how God has been faithful mm-hmm. in all these other little things, so I know I can count on Him here. Yeah, yeah. And so just by thinking again, being grateful for all those other things that have gone so well. Yeah. I like that you pointed out that it's you're, you have to be intentional about making gratitude a regular habit. It's almost like putting on a pair of, of glasses, you know, if I put my glasses on every day, then I can see the words and I can read, right? Yes, so, such a good way to put it. So that when, if you do the gratitude practice regularly, daily, then when something big comes up, like you said, something that just seems like it's going to swallow us up, you have that habit of looking at it from that perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it really does keep it in the right perspective yeah. and so that it doesn't overwhelm it, you. Yeah, for sure. That's good. Yeah. Well, I like to talk a little bit about the sort of Titus 2 women needing women and actually being commanded in Scripture to come alongside one another um, in in Paul's writing, and then just really the whole of of the teachings of of the Word of God as we're made for community. Um, And particularly women, we need to support one another. So what would you say to maybe an older woman about what you'd like her to know about your experience, your generation's experience in homemaking? Like how can that older woman come alongside of you? I would encourage an older woman to really emphasize the importance of what's happening here. Mm. I think, and yes, I'm sure part of it was because I was pursuing a legal career, but I think in our culture today, all of us battle this idea that somehow being at home, doing the laundry, washing the dishes, um, is not of great value. Yeah. And nothing could be further from the truth. It is the highest of callings. Yeah. Um, the legal career that I had, putting these bad guys behind bars, very satisfying, yes, but and it it was life-changing for the society, maybe. I mean, sure. who knows? Maybe we right. save lives, right, by putting these people away where they couldn't do more harm. But at the end of the day, it's the pouring into the little ones that God has entrusted us with, yeah. with that relationship with husband that is so critical to give as an example for the children for when they grow up and they find their mate. Um that's what changes the world. Yeah, definitely. It really does. So how would you encourage that younger woman who's maybe in the midst of that walk? Um, just what word of advice would you give to her or encouragement would you give to her? To seek out, not to allow herself to be isolated. Mm-hmm. It It's easy to, when we're in a bad and a dark place, it's easy to start to feel like the victim. Mm. and to not want to reach out and to feel kind of a resentment that there's no one there noticing me oh. in my bad place. Yeah, yeah. And um, in in truth, a lot of times people have no idea, but 
make yourself. I don't care if you literally are forcing yourself to pick up a phone, to walk over to a neighbor, whatever it is, but to start to reach out, to seek those. Your church is a great resource a lot of times for that kind of thing. I know at our church, we have a program called Mentoring Moms. I I think most churches have something of that nature. Yeah. So go avail yourself of those resources mm-hmm. and and get ready because God will work. Mm-hmm. He rewards that. Yes, He does. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for sharing your story of home with us. You're welcome. It's been Thanks, really Allison. a pleasure to get to hear it and get to know you better. Well, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, just another, I'm sure, of many testimonies of the goodness of our God. So. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Home podcast today. I hope that Debbie's story of home has been encouraging and inspiring and even challenging to you. Um, A couple of quick announcements before we close. Um, If you have not gotten on the mailing list for our newsletter, our weekly newsletter, Homemaker Happy Mail, make sure you do because, again, I will just remind you that's where all of the resources that our guests share will absolutely be listed or shared there. I may or may not be able to put things in the show notes. That's kind of a logistical thing. So if you want to make sure you get your hands on all of those resources, sign up for the newsletter. Just go to theartofhomepodcast.com slash subscribe. Also, I am working on archiving some of the newsletters, but that will only be a once or twice a year thing. So if you want them in real time, make sure that you're on the list. But if there was something in the past two seasons, I'm only archiving starting in season nine. So that would that would have been the fall of 2022 season. But if there was something mentioned in one of those seasons and you, um, I specifically said it's going to be in the newsletter and you want to find that, go to the archive page on the website and it will be there. But again, I'm only archiving stuff a couple of times a year. So if you want those newsletters as they're coming out, make sure that you're on our list. And finally, if you have found value in today's episode, could you show uh, The Art of Home some love in one of the following ways? Share with another homemaker that you know. This is the most important thing you can do to help us grow the show and reach homemakers all over the world. Leave us a rating and a review on your podcast app. This is, again, a really valuable tool to help grow the show, not necessarily because it makes us come up on a search better. It may or may not. Uh, Nobody can actually give me a straight answer on that one. But I do know as a podcast user myself, I'm an avid listener to podcasts. And whenever I find a new one, one of the first things I do is scroll down and I read the reviews because it helps me decide whether or not that show is going to be a good fit. So reviews are powerful tools and I personally use them and I know that other people do too. So thank you for leaving a review. And then finally, if you would like to, you can give us a tip in our virtual tip jar, buy me a coffee. Tips are given in $5 increments and you can give as few or as many coffees as you would like. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash the art of home. Well, that is it for this week's episode. I'm going to be back next week with another homemaker portrait. Until that time, keep practicing your art of making a home. <laughs> <laughs>